Hey, what's up? It's actually episode 70, Pain Points of Wealth, as the year starting off with lots of uncertainty, lots of uncertainty about the Fed. What are they going to do with interest rates? You got every firm out there predicting that it's just going to be apocalypse now with interest rates being hiked seven, eight times, heck, even nine times. Who knows? But what does that mean for the markets? Is the economy slowing? Is it slowing too much? Are we going to see that recession that we're hearing about every single week? Well, we're going to tell you exactly what our playbook is to invest, what you should be thinking about, how to allocate your portfolio. And on the tipping point today, we're going to talk about a lot of things that we hear you say when you're trying to be financially independent, and maybe it's not the best thing that you should be saying. We're going to point it out, get you on the right path of financial independence. We got a great show. Hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. So here we go, guys. You know, the market's off to a very shaky start. We're almost in correction territory. And of course, when they measure sentiment, how you feel about investing, you're feeling bearish right now. You're in good company because just about everybody they survey feels negative about the market. Why is it when the opportunity is the greatest is when we feel the most reluctant to invest? Well, I can say that if that sample takes into consideration our clients, I totally agree with those numbers. But I think the answer to your question, Dad, is that I think people have a really hard time investing in something when it goes down. As a matter of fact, a client of mine this week told me that they don't want to catch a falling knife. Well, the problem is you never know how far it's going to fall. And when we feel like it's going to fall the most, you're probably close to the bottom. And it is kind of remarkable because if you think about it, you know, the S&P 500 has had double digit returns for the last three years. Like That's an amazing track record. And what you would deduce from that is people would be really bullish, really excited, feeling really good about the market, the economy. And you have the exact opposite. In fact, if you look at some of those sentiment surveys, which we look at weekly, they're at some of the lowest levels ever in history. People are more bearish now than they've been like in years. It's kind of a crazy dichotomy. And as we know, that's usually fuel for more good news ahead. Well, that's the good news is it feels like a correction, not like a bear market. You know, bear markets, you know, they start with a whimper, not with a bang. Corrections, on the other hand, come quickly and swiftly. They drop like for no reason, it seems like, until... They drop, and then the media finds lots of reasons to be worried. Well, I think that the media always finds reasons to be worried. And I think if we invested based on what the media told us, I don't think we'd ever invest a cent. Well, would it be fair, too? I mean, we've had so little volatility. I mean, last year, we only had one 5% correction or downturn in the market. That's like unheard of. If you go back in history, on average, the S&P averages at least one 10% downturn every year, three 5% corrections. So we were really overdue to have some sort of sell-off, and that's like very normal garden variety market action, right? You're supposed to have that along the way. It's not supposed to neatly go up year after year. If it did, I must be honest, guys, we wouldn't have a job. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me get this straight. So historically, the market has at least one 10% decline in a calendar year and three 5% declines in that calendar year. So since you've been born, we've had these corrections. Were they permanent? Or last I checked, didn't the market make an all-time record high just three weeks ago? Well, I think that since 1978, my year uh, of birth, the markets are a lot higher today. I don't even want to go back and look at what the S&P 500 was then, but it was very low. I think the Dow was probably at about like 1,000. <laughs> I can't remember. But the point is, right, I mean, every dip has been bought. 
But I think more importantly, the big question on investors' minds here is, is this the start of a bigger problem? Are we going to have this big bear market? Is the economy going to go into recession? Because all of a sudden, interest rates are going up. All of a sudden, we're going to start to see the Fed take the punch bowl away. And I think that's where the big question is right now. Well, I have an answer for you, Ry. There's already been a bear market in those ARC funds, those Kathy Wood accounts where they're invested in disruptive technologies with companies selling at 100 times earnings if they even have any earnings. So you have companies like Peloton that went from 150 to 24. If that's not a bear market, I don't know, what do you call it? That's not a crash. What is it? Well, you know, when you get down to it, that's really a small slither of the market, and that's what you hear about. But meanwhile, you know, Bob, you always talk about this. There's 10,000 stocks out there that you can invest in globally. And as we know, not all markets are created equal as we see energy prices going through the roof. You know, as we're recording this, Exxon came out with magnificent earnings. The stock price is up again. You look at financial stocks, you look at international stocks. So really right now, it's a tale of a lot of different markets. And the question is, what market are you in? Because they're not acting the same way. Yeah, exactly right. And you know what? I have a couple of clients of mine that actually work for Microsoft. So they're very heavily invested in Microsoft stock. And they were asking me the other week about why our portfolio is down so much for the year. I said, this diversification stuff, I don't think it's working. I said, well, I said, if you really look at what's down the most, it's big tech. So I would take a look at Microsoft stock a little bit more closely than the rest of your portfolio. Well, keep in mind, guys, that you know, a correction is merely that. It's not a substantive change in the direction of the economy, right? We just had really good numbers come in from November, December in housing, retail sales. It's been about 170 companies that have reported earnings so far for the quarter. 77% have beaten analyst expectations. GDP number came in a lot higher than anybody anticipated. So the economy is still very, very strong, right? So short-term volatility doesn't necessarily equal exactly what's going on in the economy. Right. It's kind of like keep your eye on the prize. <laughs> you know, Don't let all this noise get you out of your long-term portfolio. And you know, the other thing we're seeing right now too is we're seeing a big rotation because we know now interest rates are going to be higher. I think we've all accepted that inflation's here to stay. As we look at that labor market, every week the labor market just heats up more and more. There's so many jobs available. There's not enough people to fill them. This is going to be a long-term trend that we talk about week after week. So inflation's here to stay. And as we've talked about before too, is you're noticing that different investments are starting to work. It's not the Pelotons, the ARC funds of the world, but we're talking about old school stocks like Berkshire Hathaway. We're talking about energy stocks. We're talking about stocks that benefit from the fact that interest rates are going higher and the market's telling you that's where the money's going. Well, you know, I was talking to one of our uh, mutual clients down in Atlanta and he was concerned that we didn't have any energy pipelines or commodities in our portfolio. And I had him pull up a statement and I had him go through and circle everywhere we own energy, pipelines and commodities. Hey, Chris, you know what? I mean, look at commodities. Commodities was one of the best performing asset classes last year. Very few other than our clients own commodities. And so far, they've been the big winners this year. And energy has been the best group of stocks to own in the entire world. So you never know what's going to be the big winner looking forward. That's why diversification is so critical. And people get too focused on what's working now as opposed to what's going to be working in the future. It's kind of like Wayne Gretzky. You got to ski to where the puck's going to be. Well, I think a lot of investors learned that horrible lesson over the last couple of weeks as that disruptive technology trade just got demolished, Bob, as you were mentioning. And it's just anecdotally, I was talking to one of my friends. He's a millennial investor. He's a real speculative investor, but a smart investor. And one of his buddies gave him a call, you know, just basically like freaked out because he owned Netflix. He owned all those other stocks that we're talking about. And he saw his portfolio lose a million dollars, like the snap of a finger. And here's you know, a younger millennial in his 30s, never seen a real downturn in the market, and they have no idea what it's like 
when you start to see an asset class or a certain part of the market go out of favor. It's ruthless. It's cruel. And this is why you have to have money spread out, because if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Well, guys, here's the good news. Whenever you have a correction in the market, coupled with bearish sentiment on the part of the average investor, there have been six times like that in the past, and six out of six times, the market was much higher three months later. So again, corrections aren't something to panic. They're not something to sell. There's something to embrace. Negative volatility needs future gains. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 70, Pain Points of Wealth. We are literally increasing our subscribership every single month. We appreciate it. We have over 60,000 downloads now of Pain Points of Wealth, all our episodes. Your support means so much to us. We'll keep doing these episodes if we keep getting the support. So if you like our content, you love it, please spread the word. Give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you want us to talk about. And if you're watching this on YouTube, click that like, click that notification bell. You can be updated every week. Every single week, we have new episodes of Pain Points of Wealth, so you want to be notified. Thank you for the support. Please keep giving us the support so we can keep doing this magnificent show. All right, gentlemen, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point, P-A-Y-N-E, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And you know, guys, with our firm, Pain Capital Management, we manage over a thousand relationships or families, advising them on their finances. And we probably look at over 50 portfolios a month. We probably do more volume than almost any firm in the country. And you know, it's very typical that we hear people say a lot of the same things. So I thought we'd talk about some of the things that we hear or how often we hear different clients or potential clients say these phrases and are they right? Are they wrong? And kind of just like dive into really what you should be thinking about when you think about financial independence. I love it, Rye. So how often does someone come to you wanting to know when they'll be in good enough shape, financial shape that is, to be able to retire? And the answer is tomorrow. Surprisingly, I would say it's more often than you think or you're closer than you think. I think the bigger trepidation in my experience is you're afraid to sit down and do planning because you don't want to know that the answer is bad. And more than not, even if you're not right there. You can't be financially independent tomorrow. It's like, well, if we just start saving this amount, we start doing this, you're going to get there sooner than you think. So I think the surprises are typically in the positive there. It's my experience. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And the other thing too is that you know, even when people come in for their first appointment and it doesn't look that great, it's amazing what happens when they come in year over year. It just looks better and better. I mean, just knowing exactly where you stand, you know, having a really set specific financial goal and knowing what you have to save year over year is a really powerful tool. Yeah, the problem I find and what I face, it's kind of like your grandmother, guys. Your grandmother would never go see a doctor, go to the hospital, whatever she was sick, because she said, what if I find out I'm really sick? <laughs> yeah, no kidding, mom. You know, you should get checked. So a lot of you are afraid of finding out the truth. And as a result, as we get older, we become more insecure about our future. We become more nervous about our future. And unless you have those projections, those plans done, it's really just your advisor's lips against your fears. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but one wealth projection is worth 3,000 hours of either of you flapping your lips. Well, I think I've got a new expression. The truth will set you financially free. Wow, Chris. Profound. Very profound. Jeez. Well, it's funny because I just had a client who's looking to buy a property, probably a little bit more on the higher price range than they were wanting to spend. And they're very nervous about it because it was double what the rent was. And they came to me and said, Ryan, let's run some projections on this. Can I afford it? And that's the thing. We sat down, we looked at how much this specific client was saving every year. And even with doubling the amount that they're going to spend monthly on a mortgage versus what they're paying in rent, we looked at it and said, look, you're still saving enough that you're going to be financially independent. So maybe this is a little bit of a stretch because it feels like, man, I was paying this much in rent. Now I'm doubling that amount. But when you run the numbers and you can actually look at the big picture, 
I was able to say with a lot of confidence, like, you can do this. This is okay. And I think that's part of it, right? You just want to hear someone say, look, it looks okay. Because when it's just you left your own devices, and we all know we, we, our own self-talk sometimes can put us in a really negative place and we don't see the big picture. So I think, you know, you got to do everything in the context of the big picture because this client was saving a ton of money. Even if they doubled the amount they were paying monthly, they were still going to save a lot. They're still going to be financially independent. You just want to know. Well, you know, guys, it comes down to having the right financial advisor. I mean, I uh, spoke to a new client the other day. They were working with one of these big firms where everything's real and expensive, except they weren't getting any advice. One of the things we needed to do is move some of their money away from growth assets to more value assets to more alternative investments. They said, well, what about all the capital gains? I said, well, where's your tax loss carry forwards? You know, we've had a lot of volatility in the last 20 years. Did you ever put any money in the loss bank? They said, what are you talking about? I get no advice. As a matter of fact, when I call that firm, I got to wait a month just to get a schedule for someone to talk to me. I mean, you know, hey, you have a great place to custody your money, but you do need advice. You need someone you trust and need someone's going to tell you the unvarnished truth. Well, yeah, do some planning advice, not just investment advice, not that Microsoft looks cheap here. That's not helpful. Chris, you know, and how often have we seen it where you've had a client or potential client come into your office and they started crying? I imagine with you, it's a lot. I don't know why. Yeah, right. Well, it's usually tears of joy because they're so happy about how good their projections look and how well we've done with their portfolio. And, you know, the fact that I'm really, really charming. And they always say with a sigh of relief, I'm so glad I'm working with you and not with your brother. I don't know, Chris, I'm suspect of why they're crying when they come out of your office. But, you know, it is a very emotional process, the investment process. And I think that's something that's important to remember is when you're dealing with money, it is emotional, right? It's not something where you just put something on a spreadsheet and you're analytical about it. There's a huge emotional attachment. And I'll go back to that one client that was looking to buy this huge property. You know, it was an emotional feeling about like, wow, you know, this is going to be a big expense for me. And what does it mean for me? But on the other hand, for this client, you know, it's going to make a huge difference in their life to have a beautiful place to come back to over there. They're working really hard. They're on the upward trajectory in their career. And you have to weigh out things that are maybe financially sound versus maybe not perfectly financially sound if it's going to make you emotionally, you know, mentally feel really good because you're able to live in a nice place or something like that. Hey, guys, you know what? How often do you tell people what they need to do? But you can tell by the tone on the call or in the meeting, they're they're not actually going to do it. You know, kind of like when I told them to have their grandson sell their crypto, you know, they weren't going to tell them. Well, you know, this does happen from time to time. And it's usually not with the investments, it's more on the saving side. You know, a lot of times people will come in and we'll set a goal. It's like, okay, we need to save X amount of dollars a year per month. And when we come in for the next review, that's not always happening. And it's pretty easy to tell because you know exactly how much someone's bringing in and you know exactly how much is going out the door. Right. It's like, I want the personal trainer and, uh, you know, I really want to commit to it, but I'm not going to commit to it. <laughs> you know, we see that all the time. And that is what it comes down to, right? It's like, you have to put in the work, you have to follow the plan or it's not going to work. Well, well, I think what you're saying, Rye, is like uh, chocolate cake tastes a lot better than 100 push-ups. Bob, I'm not going to lie. I do love a chocolate cupcake here and there. So the other thing we hear often too, guys, is if I just had a million dollars, I'd be comfortably able to retire. And as we know, first off, a million dollars doesn't get what you used to. And it really depends on other factors. Like, do you have social security? Do you have a pension? You know, your dollar amount you need for retirement is going to be very different from the next person. Yeah, it's kind of like that guy that threw a tantrum on the plane the other day, and he was I think he had a few too many drinks and he was screaming out loud, my parents have $2 million. You don't understand. And everybody said, hey, $2 million is not what it used to be, buddy. It's all about your needs, right? It's about your spending. It's about your passive income stream. So, you know, the advice you get, this generic advice you see in the financial press, not always a good advice to take, is it, Chris? Yeah, you got to stay away from those rules of thumb. I mean, your financial plan is 100% personal. It's always going to be based on 
like you said, Dad, what you spend, what are your sources of income, and what do you like to do? What are your activities? So yeah, it's very subjective, I would say. It is. And lifestyle can just vary so much from person to person. Because I'll get this a lot like, hey, Ryan, you know, what do other people in my age group tend to spend? And you know, the truth is, it's all over the place. And everyone's got different values. They got different views of money. So it's not really about an age range that you're in. It has to do with how you grew up. We have clients that have millions of dollars that we have to tell them, hey, you spend way too much money. And we have clients that have maybe millions of dollars as well, and they don't spend enough. Like you could spend more money. So, you know, it really does come down to you. And this is why financial planning is just so customized. You can't have that cookie cuttered approach. And it's important as you're building out your financial independence journey, you want to make sure it's customized as possible to what your goals and dreams are. And a lot of times we have an industry that's guilty of giving that one size fits all approach. And that's why it's important to sit down and evaluate to make sure all the advice you're getting or you're giving yourself really is germane to you solely. Right. I think you just nailed it on the head because when you think about all the financial propaganda, right? The loudest voices that you hear from the media are companies that are making the most money selling financial products, right? They're not giving you advice on how to invest personally. They're telling you what you want to hear so they can sell you what they sell, whether it's an insurance company selling annuities or whether it's Vanguard pushing bond funds. Their job is to sell your product, not to get to your goals, to your dreams, with your values. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially literally at any stage of your journey. But if you want a more hands-on approach and want to get some more custom-tailored advice, every single week we run our total financial master plan. If you saved over $750,000 for retirement, you can apply. Go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan and see if you qualify for a free complimentary financial review. There's literally not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We're going to hone in on every aspect of your financial life. We're going to go through every investment. We're going to show you where all those hidden costs are, those fees on those annuities, brokerage products, mutual funds. We're going to show you where all the tax inefficiencies are in your portfolio, show you how to optimize taxes, tax strategies we've been using now for decades. You can use to basically save on taxes so you pay less taxes, more money in your pocket. And we're going to do a full income and expense plan. We're going to look at all the income that you're going to need, all the sources of income that you have, figure out how you have an income game plan so you can be financially independent. It's a full financial review. There's no other firm that offers this. See if you qualify. If you have over $750,000 saved for retirement, simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right. It's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, new homes were sold at an average price of $453,000 in 2021. Compare that to 1960, when the median home price was $11,900 and inflation adjusted dollars, that's $104,000. In today's dollars, man, oh man, home prices have gone up a lot versus what they used to be. I'll tell you what, home prices have gone up a lot, but you know what, guys? The greatest marketing job in the history of mankind has come from the automotive industry. They've convinced people that it's a really good investment to pay as much for a new car as you used to pay for a new house. I just had a client the other day ask me for a check for $275,000 for the new car he bought for his wife. Well, Chris is talking about getting a gold dip Lamborghini. I think that's going to cost him at least $250,000. All right, Chris. The cost of acquiring the rights to use the Beatles music in the film yesterday was around $10 million, 40% of the total movie cost. I think Michael Jackson owns all those Beatles songs. 
Right. I'm sure they probably would have paid a lot more for uh, your original music, but you know, it's pretty amazing that they paid that much for a movie that presupposes that the Beatles didn't actually exist. It's kind of crazy. And you're right, Chris. I mean, I would have charged at least $20 million for my collection. So I'm glad you regard my songwriting skills up there with the Beatles, if not better. So very true. Probably the truest thing we've ever said on this podcast. Well, we all live in a fantasy sometimes, right? Maybe, just maybe. Bob, in 1932, wooden bills were temporarily made and used in Tonino, Washington, because there was a major cash shortage at the time and wood was readily available. Oh my goodness, Rise. It reminds me of cryptocurrency today. Oh, wow. You know, we have crypto and it's like there's a shortage of cash. So we'll just keep printing bitcoins or whatever the heck these things are. You know, everybody get a computer and we'll just keep making more. That sounds like a real store of value to me. I'd rather have wood chips as opposed to a bitcoin. I don't know. It might be worth more, but nothing's worth more than Bobcoin. We know that. So, Chris. The ceremonial coin toss at the Super Bowl is a tradition that started in 1967. The coin used for the Super Bowl coin toss is unique for a few reasons. First, it's engraved with the NFL shield on one side and the year on the other. And this makes it a collection item for fans of the game. Well, you know what, Ry, considering your absolute love of all professional and organized sports, I'm sure you'd pay out the nose for one of these. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's right there with my whole gold coin collection, you know? That's where all my money's going when the apocalypse happened. If you guys want an autographed football signed by me, just let me know. I'll let you know, Bob. I'll sell it on eBay for negative $10. All right, gentlemen, another great show. If you like our podcast, love it. Give us a like. Give us a five-star rating. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe. Click that notification bell so you can be updated every week of our new content. That's it for this week, episode 70. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Oh,